<laughs> we'll probably just take that out after we finish recording. What was that? I was just hitting my boon to irritate you. Boon like the arm. Oh, my goodness. Got you know, I was just saying before we started this podcast today that you and I need to pray more. We need to submit our work to Christ. We need to not run on the manic energy of, a, of an overly hyped ADD person in the room, which is not me. <laughs> You'd like to think it's not you. But uh, <clears throat> anyways, are we on now? Is everything working? We're, we're, we're rolling. We're rolling. Man, you seem awfully, awfully busy these days. That is true. It's not good. It's not good. I have no. like three jobs. Pastor of a local church. That's not professor. a job. That's not a job. I'm uh, I'm also that's uh, a job. Professor's director a job. of a program. That's trying a to job. Recruit students. It's, they're all jobs. I'm also yeah. Well, can I just father keep... of two teenage young men? Oh, oh my just... love. I'm husband. Uh, I'm busy. My uh, son just turned 13, and he had a spectacular hockey game of which I coached last Sunday night. It was our last game of the year, and I'm a little bit depressed about it because, man, do I miss it. I miss it already. Do you coach anywhere? Do you do anything like that? Nope. I do help out backstage with our musical theater group. Uh, It's pretty amazing. Our kids are in musical theater. They just did Shrek. They've done Aladdin. They did a high school musical, which was awesome. They've done Joseph and the Technicolored Quake. Are you trying coach? to turn your kids into some Hollywood movies? I'm not trying to People turn them into anything. This is just what they like to do, and it's fun. We're engaged well, in what they want to do. So you're trying to have your hockey glory played out by your son. Uh, that's what you're doing, but I was never in musical theater. My kids are just doing what they want, so I'm letting my kids be free. You're molding them in your image, Dave Fitch. Uh, in my opinion, it's impossible not to mold your kid in your image. And that's the bit scary part of being a parent, isn't it? I'm actively trying to mold <clears throat> kids in my image as far as that image relates to Christ. So, hey, yes. Amen. Okay, we finally hit the... This is not a parenting episode. We finally we're landed just, the yeah. ship. We <laughs> I finally don't know what landed. we're doing Ladies here. and gentlemen, what is our topic? Uh, I'm not asking you, ladies and gentlemen, what our topic is, but... Uh, Claw, do you, do you know what our topic is for today? It's about being present. Which I think is our topic, like every every podcast, every podcast. But no, it's not about being present. It's about the problem of cultural analysis and the fact that we are called to be present. Oops, I said that word. We are called to be in culture for the transformation of culture. Um, but you know, um, um, salvation is not purely personal. We don't have to go through this again. I know we've... What are you looking at your phone for? Nothing. I'm just being prepared for our podcast. Keep going. My goodness. Salvation is not purely personal. Can we go it's, back to the It certainly ADD is thing? personal, but it's not only personal. It is whole. It is cultural. It is it, it changes the systems and the ways we relate to each other as human beings, all of which says that God is at work transforming cultures. And so the question for us pastors is, how do we engage the cultures that we live in for the gospel? That's the question for today's podcast. How do, how we, do we as pastors engage the cultures we find ourselves in, planted in, the places, to recall last podcast episode, the places we are called to be in? 
And so I would just like to uh, introduce as an intro. I would like to introduce as an introduction to this podcast. Thank you, Mr. Redundant Redundant. I would like to introduce the idea of uh, Joe Holland and Peter Henriot's book, Social Analysis, Linking Faith and Justice. It's a small little book, but it is an extremely uh, good summation of the problem. It's already, I think, oh, maybe 35, 40 years old. But in the preface... Joe Holland and Peter Henry uh, talk about the challenge of engaging culture and how what has happened is uh, often taken form in two options, the classic left option and the classic right option. I wonder which option you are. Uh, well, according to you, I'm a liberal, so I guess I'm the left. All right. Well, I'm glad we clarified <laughs> that. The classic left option challenges the social destruction of what's going on in our culture. But but Holland and Henry, I'd say it cuts itself off from the religious root of creativity. It is the flat vision of secular scientific socialism. Um, and so, so, you know, to summarize in layman's terms what that might mean is we often go into culture and we analyze the problem sociologically and we try to solve it ourselves. Do you find yourselves falling into this rut? Jeff Holesclaw is a pastor. We go into a situation and we analyze it sociologically. We say, this is the problem and let's go fix it. Uh, I personally don't, but I think that there are many that do. Um, I think, uh, and, and this this goes to a lot of different issues. You're talking about like cultural engagement. Well, what about uh, engaging with uh, the, with health, health services, mental health? How do we engage with um, spiritual formation and depression or things like that? And who gets to have what word? Is there the biblical tradition? So the mental health profession. Uh, you wrote a whole chapter on this in the Great Giveaway, a good thirteen, fourteen years ago, which, fifteen years ago. You know, yeah, sixteen the, years so, ago. How do social sciences help us understand human transformation? So, like, I think there is a temptation to what you said a long time ago: outsource gospel transformation to these other realms of knowledge or these other kind of authorities. Yeah, but my in main, our lives. Em- my na- main emphasis is is that. A lot of churches I know, and I won't mention any names, uh, feel the call to engage culture and the systemic problems in our culture towards injustice that that feed or that shape injustice in the world, and they feel like we are called to go make an impact. And they'll go into those situations, sociologically analyze what the problem is, and then they will advocate either through activism or some other means on how to solve the problem. And my question is, where is God in that? And how long is that going to work before you are totally exhausted of all your resources, energy, trying to do God's work for him? Well, I think of the positive side, people would say we're relying and investigating God's creation and not relying just on special revelation in the Bible, but understanding all of God's creation and all the things God has made. And so we can rely on these other realms of scientific inquiry, even sociological analysis for engaging in neighborhoods or politics and other types of things. And that's so a good point. they probably would not say that it's utterly devoid of God's presence, but it can be. It most often 
turns that way turns out that way i am uh very i got my antenna my my justice antennas up on that one mm-hmm I'm very sensitive to that. The one. justice okay. antenna. My uh, my is justice not hearing antenna. Any Jesus, any Jesus. Anymore. Without God at work, we are just going to get exhausted and/or contribute to the power power issues at hand, uh, and making them worse. Okay, so that's, folks. Uh, that's an over tight, very small summary, and I realize it needs to be nuanced, just like Holdclaw was trying to do just right there, so skillfully, I might add. Okay. But it is the problem of what uh, Holland and Henriot call the classic left. Now, they say also on the other side is the religious right, which is just the opposite of the solution, which, it, which of the classic left solution. And it sees the problem of the left and seeks to restore God into justice, but fails to understand, quote, the prophetic side of the divine and winds up defending the very social destruction that the left fights against. Often, I, I might add, this particular version of engagement we'll call the religious right uh, as Holland and Henry. By the way, this book was written 30 years ago before the religious right reached its pinnacle, I think, in the 90s. But anyways, um, the problem here is that we take our, soul, our personal moral uh, uh, judgments and emphases, and we take them out into culture where there is no foundation for said moral emphases, and we end up really uh, ensconcing the existing structures as they are with a little personal morality sprinkled in. Do you know what I'm trying to say on that? Right, so instead of challenging everything, we kind of end up baptizing the status quo, maybe inadvertently, uh, and then we try to inject a little uh, good Christian morality or purity or something like that, holiness, uh, some sort of uh, statement of the Ten Commandments or something like that and feel like we have now engaged culture. Yeah. And so this book is a great introduction to the problem. I don't know if it's the best solution to the problem. By the way, uh, Sun Chan Ra is coming to do the lectures, Theology and Mission Lectures in June. June 7th and 8th. On, Took me a little while to remember that. Both Lament and the next evangelicalism and how to go forward in this particular subject matter that we are talking about right now on this podcast. I also want to say that I'm using this book in a cultural engagement seminar uh, that Soon Chan Ra is teaching in our doctoral program alongside the master's seminar. And so if you're interested in these subjects, contextual theology, uh, by all means, Look into our D-Men in Contextual Theology or our Master of Arts in Theology. And, and as one last little uh, advertisement, so sorry for all of you who are not in seminary, but if you're in seminary, you can actually get class credit. If you're in Chicagoland, you can come visit us, or you could just fly in for a week and hang out with Dave and I and then uh, get class credit, seminary class credit, and then go to the lectureship. Do the whole shebang. It'll be great. Yeah, so so getting down to the the rub here the 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 when when what do you say the ru- the rubber hits the, the rubber meets the road yeah so we talked about the left which challenges the status quo but leaves God out of it we talk about the right which kind of baptizes the status quo uh tries to interject morality uh, but those aren't good so what are the dynamics or you have uh so and I'm so proud of his outline there's they all alliterate. That's my favorite thing. Seven okay, but, P's. But just before we get there. Oh, we're not there yet? Oh, um, man. As opposed to that, I want to say, as opposed to the two options given, God is at work already in the culture. Indeed, 
He's at work in the struggles, the pains, and the antagonist. He's not the source of the antagonism, but he's bringing reconciliation to the antagonisms in the culture. Wesleyans call that prevenient grace, although it's often individualized, not always. And But, but I want to say that we must make space to know, experience, read, understand, locate the narratives, the antagonisms, the struggles, so that the gospel can be proclaimed that Jesus is at work. Will we submit? Will we surrender? Will we enter into the kingdom and allow God to do his work in the culture? And that takes local incarnational engagement by the church, the local church, not the church, big C, the local churches, which make up in conglomerate, the big C. And and by the way, uh, in this introduction, or I should say preface in social analysis, Joe Holland, Peter Henry, they talk about, they propose the basic Christian community in the third world, often, by the way, centered in Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic churches, uh, base communities coming off the, the main cathedral in town, um, that these communities locally engaged become the basis by which we shall engage culture in the ways we're about to talk about. Do you have anything to add? I mean, do you have anything to sum up? You, you, you always do this great thing about summarizing <laughs> after I've gone off on like a mile-long riff. I could summarize, but you're halfway done with our podcast, and we have seven fantastic P's to get through, so I want to get to the P's. Okay, so... I got a P! Just kidding. But I got seven P's. That was oh, horrible. A little vulgar. We're going to have to try to cut we, yeah, we and kinda, edit this podcast. Uh, nah, I never do that. We just keep rolling. <clears throat> All right, so I have this thing called uh, Go and Be Present. And uh, go and be present and proclaim the gospel. So we go into culture not just to sociologically analyze it and solve people's problems. We're going in there to be present, to understand what's happening, where God is. And as you know, I use the Eucharist and presence a lot as, as a logic and a frame and a grammar to understand how to discern God's presence in these situations. And then, folks, by proclaiming the gospel, we open up space for people to see that God's at work in these places. Will we join in? Will we submit our lives to Jesus as Lord and allow him to work to bring healing and renewal and reconciliation to all things in our culture? That's the goal. But to do that, I offer seven Ps, seven Ps out of Luke chapter 10, 1 through 16. And these Ps give us the ability to locate certain issues and how to proclaim the gospel into it. So are you ready? Are we going to go? Are we going to get into now the seven Ps? Let's do it. Okay, first P is power. And I get that from verse 3 in, in Luke 10. Go as sheep among wolves. What do we do? We go in recognizing the dynamics of power, giving up power. And most of all, discerning who is in power. We're asking questions like, well, where and what places does power reside? Is it coercive power versus, say, participatory power? Is it holding, is it power that unhold, that's holding back evil, which is what I call preservatory power, versus abusive power, which uses evil? Um, to, is that like predatory power? Nice P. Nice Rather than preservatory power. Sorry, I'm on a roll, folks. Ask questions. How do things get done here? 
Is there a problem, an evil here? Who do you talk to if you want to bring to light that evil? What do you do? Where, where are the churches located in town? Right at the center of the town? Next to City Hall? Are they closed? Are there signs of Christianity's influence and power here in this town? And, and, and once we locate power, how do we then go inhabit, resist, be present to, and push back and make space for the power, which is always non-coercive, of the gospel to be made known? And this goes back to our, a previous uh, episode where we talked about different uses of power, uh, whether Christians should have power, what kind of power would that look like? So how do you go into a space, discern power, the streams of power, the circulation of power among different people and places and influence? And then how do you witness to the redemption of that? Yeah, and many times, many times, uh, here's another P, police. Let's just take that as an example. Our police systems are uh, uh, formed and shaped by evil structures of power sin has crept in um prejudice has crept in um coercion uh the misuse of power and what can we do when we see this well instead of pushing back with equal coercion we can make we can do little protests by the way another p and we can <laughs> we can be peacefully present to what the police are doing Many, sometimes we might even want to support the police. When when there are options to go to the police, we can seek reconciliation by other means. There's all sorts of things. You're pushing me on to the next peak because our podcast is going, going to go too long this time. But I'm just saying, folks, locate what's going on in your neighborhood in the ways power is is exerted righteously, preserve it in preservatory functions legitimately, and when it becomes an evil and it starts um, polluting our various systems and ways we work with the, with the forces of evil and holding people down and, and uh, locking people away and marginalizing people and let the church be the presence of the gospel for the unheard voices, for the marginalized, the victimized, the oppressed. All right, the next P. Why don't you take the next P? The next P is pennies, which is maybe another form of power. Where is the money in this place? Who has it? Who doesn't? What are the relationships between places, people, and the pennies or the money? And those that don't have those things. Uh, and then what is the gospel or how is the gospel interacting with that place? I think just a uh, uh, throw there in there. A lot of times we miss the economic, um, the economic uh, revolution that Jesus was creating in the midst of his ministry. We forget about the common purse that Judas was uh, was holding, and that was really to kind of redistribute the wealth. Uh, you know, he was practicing Jesus in one sense was practicing a new jubilee. Uh, many scholars kind of see his ministry as connecting with uh, the jubilee practices of liberating the oppressed and the free uh, and the slaves and yes. things like that. So pennies, power, money. I just saw a post um, on Missy Alliance about whether we're disciples of Christ or disciples of capitalism. Who um, wrote that? Uh, Beth Hill, I believe. Mm. Um, I haven't met her, but it, it was really good. I reposted it on my timeline. So yeah, pennies. Well, well, 
before everybody just starts freaking out and goes, oh, you're going all anarchist on us or, or, or you're asking us to withdraw from the economy, I actually think there's much more subtle ways that we can bring change to the world. I'll give an example. Uh, uh, the Burr Bombs in our community, uh, myself, another couple, I love them, they're, they're the Albas, were meeting uh, to talk about buying a local four-apartment building uh, apart with four apartments in it for the purpose of being able to provide affordable housing where we don't have to get a profit and we don't have to do this and this and this to maximize uh, um, real estate profit. But instead, I call it subverting the logic of capitalism. We can just make a bare minimum cash flow positive thing, investment. We can protect our cash. Some of us are old and we're going to need our money to retire because we the church doesn't have a retirement way to take care of old people yet and at least our church doesn't but that so don't freak out yeah we, there's ways to do this and make way for people to have homes and to get settled because the current system privileges those of us who had well those of young those of you who had money uh from their parents <laughs> Why did you point at me? Okay. I don't have any money for my parents. None of us. In the case of you and me, we didn't, but we had certain other privileges, etc. And we need to subvert the logic of what's going on with capitalism enough to make space for people to live lives and establish themselves and have real socioeconomic revolution of uh, among us to give witness to what the kingdom is all about. It's not about the logic of making the most money you possibly can with every excess dollar you have, you know, screw what it does. Well, I'm, that was inappropriate. Language. We're uh, going to have to cut that out too. Uh, uh, forget what it does to people and their people's lives and how it plunders them and rolls all of the, over them. And, and we can do that as the church in some of the smallest but most powerful ways. And when people see you doing this, they're going to take notice and the world's going to change maybe even more dramatically than you could have ever Woo. Expect it. Preach it. Okay. We got the gospel the going on here. The third P is postures. Oh, by the way, you didn't read Penny's uh, verse four. Take no purse. Oh, sorry, you're right. Do you're not. Right. We're going through the Bible here. Yeah, we're going through Luke chapter ten. These are the P's to look for and discern in your culture and right. your community exegetically. But it comes from uh, Luke chapter ten. Okay. P number three. When you enter a place or people, so this from, is a posture. From, from verse five and six, there's a posture. Uh, that when you enter a place, go and sit at a table and read people and let be present to people. Don't, um, don't just go there assuming you know what's going on about who people are by what color their face is or what expressions are on their face. Look, or, or, or by what, how much money they have or what they do in a job or et cetera. Look at a person's facial expression. Read body language toward another person notice who sits with and in restaurants and bars and the bus stop read the body language of how people of color and white people in your neighborhood uh, relate to each other how do people see each other what's the what does the person behind the counter say you know i was i go to this bar every wednesday night called potbelly bar and and the uh I find I may have said this uh, three or four weeks ago, but because this happened about a month ago. But Peggy, the bartender, uh, I found out she knows my wife and she knows my kid in town, 
Mm-hmm. And I, I was there for at least a year before before I knew that. And I found out a little bit about why she does what she does as a bartender and why, why she earns the extra money and, and the social uh, things going on in her life and in the, this place in the bar. So I just think the posture of what goes on tells us a lot. What about the posture of the police towards other people that they're stopping at, a say, um, for a speeding ticket or in the neighborhood. Um, what's going on in all of this? And how do we, um, you, you know, so much about the gospel is you are a child of God. You are loved. You are redeemed. You are called to his purposes. It gives, the gospel is an identity molding, shaping message and announcement that God has called you to be something in his kingdom. And we need to read how people, so much of life today is devoid of understanding who I am, what I'm doing here, why I'm located here. And we have that gospel to offer the world. But we need to read and understand who they are, what they're doing and why, and what uh, what God is doing in their, in their places, in their social relationships. So... First P is power. Second P is pennies, economics. Third P is postures, socially relational dynamics in your community. Go to the next one. All right. Fourth P is peace. And we've already touched on this a little bit because you can't help talking about any of these things without also talking about peace. Seek persons of peace. Verse 6 from Luke 10. Where do people meet and overcome differences? Who do they go to? Where are the cosmopolitan canopies? Uh, in the neighborhoods. That's That's a great book. It talks about uh, Philadelphia and about how, where are those spaces that different groups of people, different ages of people naturally uh, mix together. Um, So sometimes they're like, it's like a bazaar or food market or uh, or some retail place, uh, a mall or something like that. Um, Where are those places uh, that people can let their defenses down? And who are the people that create those spaces? Maybe there's particular people or individuals or groups of people that create these third spaces is sometimes what they're called in either work nor home. Uh, Who is there? Why are they here? And what kind of conversations are happening when that uh, space is provided? Yeah, and and these spaces are just great places to go inhabit, become friends with people, understand the dynamics in the community but also proclaim the gospel of peace that God is out to do something here well beyond the imagination of ourselves in our own worlds. And these places where people come to exchange and, and let their defenses down are places where the hunger for to be known and loved and see, um, see antagonisms healed and walls broken down, there's a gospel there. Uh, the proclamation that God's at work reconciling, bringing people together in ways that are not possible apart from what God has done in Christ. Okay, the next P is parties. Um, In verse 7, it says, stay there eating and drinking. Well, for me, we've got to know and understand where the celebrations are. Where do people share joy? Where, after getting through the week, do they go and, and... and just let the hair down and celebrate. Where where do new babies get celebrated? Um, and then what are the things that are celebrated in this neighborhood? Are block parties encouraged in this in this town? Why or why not? And and if they're not, should we make space for block parties to celebrate 
uh, the good things that are happening. Not everything is bad in this neighborhood. There's a lot of good things going on. And actually, we want to celebrate that and proclaim that God is at work in this place. And, and these are all signs that God is, loves his people and wants to bring their lives to fruition, to his purposes. Parties. Know where the parties are. Do you know where your parties are, Holslow? Do you party at all? Do I party? Well, I had a birthday party, which was pretty fun. Yeah, sorry I couldn't make that party. I, <laughs> I just turned 40, everybody. Uh, uh, you know, this is something that, that we could do better at. We, You know, again, I think we talked earlier about our musical theater group that our, our boys are in involved in. And there's a lot of good parties and hanging out and, uh, there. And I think sometimes it's hosting parties for the youth, uh, depending on the age of your kids or it's it's uh, coupled with sporting events. And I know the Cubs had a pretty big party a couple of years ago. That was pretty fun. You know, uh, I think the Cubs are pretty close to having more parties closer than the uh, Sox are. For you and McKnight, and maybe it's fun. And you're 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 a, you're not even a true blue Cub fan. You you're a bandwagon jumper. But uh, speaking of bandwagon jumping, let's go to pain. Let's go to the next P. The sixth P. So being a Cub fan until two years ago was filled with pain, <laughs> pain and suffering. It says, "Heal the sick." Who are there, verse 9, where are the hurts and the struggles or the brokenness that are in your community? Where are the struggles with alcohol, drugs, violence, unemployment, death, suicides, war, uh, and all those places of grief um, throughout the day, throughout the weeks, throughout the years? Um, And how can we enter into those places? How can the church enter into the places of pain? Where do the homeless go? You know, it's almost to the point now where wherever you live, and I don't care what kind of class, middle, upper, lower, up, up, upper, upper class, there are people without homes. Where do they go in your neighborhood? And and how can we go be there? How how can we go be there in a way that does not uh, provide them with a solution to their problem first? Does not put us in a position of power? We talked about positioning earlier in this piece podcast uh how can we go be present with them so that we do not make them our personal project but instead we open up space between them and us and we are able to discern and hear their stories and ask what god's doing in their lives i'm telling you this is this is this is you want to know do you want to know where evangelism will break out anew in your church go find the places of pain like i'll give you another one a hospital. Can we just forget your, I almost said, your stupid evangelism explosion. (laughs) Forget your stupid evangelism programs. Here's what you do. You take three or four people who know how to feel and understand and relate, and you take them to the hospitals. You introduce them to the chaplain. You say, we'd like to go and visit the sick for three hours once a week and just be with them and just minister to them. And, and, and listen to their stories. And I tell you, that's where the gospel is going to break out because that's where Jesus is already there. And they're so ready to hear the gospel. And I just believe that's the mission field. And I don't know too many places where they're in a hospital. No, hospitals are everywhere. Pain. The last, thing, the last P is positioning. Um, I think verse 10, when you are not welcomed, you know, when Jesus says, when you're not welcomed, I have not been welcomed. When you are welcomed, they welcome me. Well, 
I, I think we need to read the antagonisms at work in a place. A lot of people, if you say the word Christian in a place these days, are going to say, no, thank you. I've had enough. I've been hurt by the church. You people are hypocrites. I had that happen to me all the time in McDonald's where I used to hang out back when I was up at Life in the Vine. Um, Listen to the words of people, uh, their stories, how they relate incidents in their lives. And when... And notice where the antagonisms are and how people are positioning themselves. And if you go up and down uh, my uh, main street where I live now in Westmont, there are blue ribbons on the street lamps. Who put them there and why? What, what did, how do they feel attacked? Why do they feel attacked? And wh- who are the people in that barbershop, that black barbershop across from the street lamp with the blue ribbons on, which means Blue Lives Matter. What do they see and how do they feel in relation to that um, blue ribbon? And here's where we get to the antagonisms that are at work in our culture. And we can invite people to talk. And we can say, I believe God's reconciling people. And we can hear them out. We can hear the people who feel threatened by the Black Lives Matters movement. We can hear the people who are threatened by the Blue Lives Matter 2 movement. We can hear and open up space for the Blue Lives people and the Black Lives Matter people to come together and talk about what is going on. And we can proclaim that Jesus is Lord here to those who will listen and that we believe he's calling us to work together for, for the kingdom of God, for the renewal of all things. Um, so these are just, uh, uh, there's seven Ps. I actually forge um, Scott Nelson came up with two or three Ps. I first heard of them, and I expanded them to these seven Ps, and I'm sure there's a lot more Ps out there. But these are just beginning, kind of initiating a uh, little rubric here to help you locate the things you got to look for. And the key question for me is not to sociologically anal- analyze these things in your surrounding culture, but to become the presence of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel and inviting people in becoming the facilitator of the gospel in your neighborhood. And I do believe that out of this, not just social transformation will happen, but people will get saved in personal ways, too. Do you have anything to add? You've kind of been sleeping over there. Have I been talking too I've much? I've not been sleeping. No, you've been doing great. I think uh, I've been having this uh, internal uh, conversation about a, maybe a different podcast about uh, should we engage culture what, uh, but my initial thought was uh, that all of these P's are not things that you do in your study or by reading magazines or uh, demographic research but they're it's getting out of your car out of your house walking in the neighborhoods being involved and participating is just by putting your body physically in these spaces and then looking around yeah uh, and I think that that's uh, really important. I was talking with um, one of our students in the MATM, the Theology and Mission Program. Uh, his church is bivocational, and we've been bivocational for a long time. We have a bunch of episodes about being bivocational. And one of the things we said is, yeah, we're out in the neighborhoods. We're out in offices. We're in public workspaces. We're getting to know people in the places that they are. And that's one of the reasons why we're bivocational is it makes the pastors, the leaders of the church, be sure to be looking around and engaging with their cultures rather than the nine to five, five days a week, stuck in the church building, working on a sermon, working on the next uh, activity or the next push or the next thing, and you never get out of the church and you're never engaging with things. Right, but but don't you think, uh, okay, so you, you and I were both raised evangelical uh, 
typical church where gospel is only personal. And this kind of results in kind of a couple of things. One is uh, culture is irrelevant to the gospel. And so we don't know what to look for out there. But then the second thing is when we do know what to look for, let's say the seven Ps, and we know that, let's say, the prophets of the Old Testament, the minor prophets are, and the major prophets are speaking out against these injustices. We know they're bad, but the first temptation is to say, we got to solve this problem. Whereas, no, we got to be participants in what God is doing to solve this problem. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Put another P in we there. need the gospel. All right, we're about to spin off into a whole other podcast. we got to wrap this one up. How are you going to land the plane? What have people learned? Uh, we have a demon in contextual theology. And <laughs> that's just, not landing the plane. That's a sales pitch. We have an MATM. <laughs> Sorry. We also have the theology and mission lectureship that's coming up. <laughs> but, but really, folks, uh, I tell everybody whenever I'm giving this little speech at churches, yes, this is a means to engage sociologically analyze what's going on, have an eye for the what God is doing and working towards in your culture, but it's not enough. We need to be the gospel, and we need to proclaim that God in Christ has begun to make the world right. He's fulfilled his promise to Israel in the Scripture to make things right. Will we participate in it? And in that process, yes, I do believe people, by becoming participants, will say, Jesus is Lord of my life, and I want to be part of his kingdom. And that is, I feel like now an altar call would be appropriate to end our podcast. Yeah, amen. And you can sing. Can can you sing? Just as I am without one plea. By the way, I'm serious about that. Let's call call people into the gospel in every place. Luke chapter 10. So for uh, the... Th- do you have any other announcements before we end No this more part? announcements. Oh, we did get a new review. Uh, I'll read it out uh, next week. Uh, it was a good review. Uh, they said they love the Jeff Holzclaw a whole bunch. They didn't even mention you at all. Uh, I'm just kidding. So, but yeah, please, you know, rate and review us. Uh, if you can on iTunes, we would uh, uh, be very appreciative. And so until next time, which will be hopefully next week... Absolutely. Folks, it's Theology on Mission podcast. We will see you next time. Thanks over and out. <laughs>